You're listening to Strange by Nature, your guide to the strange, weird, unbelievable, and improbable wonders of the natural world. Hello, everyone. Thanks for being here today. I am Kirk Mona, and I am joined today by Rachel Ginza and Victoria Thompson. We are all professional naturalists who together have scoured the world for weird and wonderful wonders just to please your mammalian brain's desire for novelty. Isn't that nice? Let's do this. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another exciting episode of Strange by Nature. Oh, so fun. So, well, I got news for you, Rachel. What? Right now, as we are recording this, uh-huh. I am quarantined. Oh, yeah, I know. That's you right. can tell me. I'm so sorry, Kirk. <laughs> <laughs> there is a wave of COVID going through my area, and I mm-hmm. was unlucky enough to get it. Uh, I am <clears throat> almost completely asymptomatic, but I Good. could still spread it to others. Uh, my wife, on the other hand, is sick in bed and feeling crappy. Oh, no. Uh, she was able to get antivirals, and that points to one of the tricky things about COVID. It is a virus, not a bacteria. Right. If it was a bacteria, we'd have a much easier time fighting it because we could use antibiotics. And for those who have perhaps wondered why they can't just go to the doctor and get antibiotics to fight COVID, it's because antibiotics only work on bacteria. Mm -hmm. Now, the day before I realized I had COVID, I was unfortunately out at a bar. Uh, I didn't get it there, but I certainly may have spread it there. Uh, I spent uh, the whole evening playing pinball and seeing friends, and oh, fun. I had a tasty beer. Now, I'm oh. not a huge dr- beer drinker. Uh, I almost said deer brinker. Uh, <laughs> having. Now, not a huge beer drinker, uh, but I will have a lager once in a while, and I had to laugh because uh, they had like a dozen beers and cans at this bar, and all of them were lagers, which was oh. uh, my kind of place. There you uh, go. I'm glad. Like I'm not a big beer drinker. Uh, what I wasn't thinking about, what I was not thinking about when I drank that beer was how it likely saved my life. What? <laughs> hold on. Right. Now, you're probably, you're probably <laughs> thinking to yourself, Kirk, hold on. In fact, you just said, hold on. Mm-hmm. Uh, how did drinking a beer on a Friday night save my life? Well, yep, I have questions. Deal. It wasn't that beer. It was actually a beer. It's even weirder because it was a beer that I didn't even drink. I couldn't have even drank what? this beer if I wanted, Rachel, because the beer in question that quite possibly saved my life was a beer back in 1862. Kirk, <laughs> I know you're older than me, but I know for a fact you weren't around in 1862. Right. I said I could not have possibly <laughs> drank this. 1862, no. definitely not around. Um, so before we get to that old beer, let's talk a minute about old beer. Right. I recently bought a bunch of craft beers, Mm -hmm. uh, the kind I decidedly don't drink, uh, for a present for someone. And when I Mm -hmm. did so, I needed to look at the bottom of all these cans to see when they had been canned. Uh, There's a lot of beer drinkers who insist that you have to drink a can of beer within one month of it being canned or it goes bad. Huh. To be clear, though. When they say goes bad, they mean it loses some of its flavor. It's okay. not as good as it could possibly have been. What I they mean, don't mean I'm gonna be real is honest. that it will kill you. What? Oh, right? Okay. right. I'm going to be honest. I'm also not a beer drinker. So this is very like 
does it really go bad? This is groundbreaking news for you. Yeah. Yeah. Beers can go bad. But when beers go bad, they don't like, you know, kill you. However, that wasn't the case back in 1862. A bad beer literally could kill you. Oh, no. So could bad milk or bad eggs Mm -hmm. or juice or many other types of food and drinks. And the culprit was bacteria. Okay. Now, I guess I can't say for sure that like I would have died from drinking something that went bad uh, back in the 1800s if I had lived back then. Right. Um, But if I did, you know, drink something that that had gone bad and it did kill me, it would not have been the only one. No. Very hard to get like exact numbers from back then. But if we look at milk, for example, Mm -hmm. uh, bad milk can spread brucellosis and listeria. Mm -hmm. Those are the most common ones. But what I did not realize, and I think we don't really think about, is milk can also spread things like tuberculosis, scarlet fever, typhoid fever, cowpox, hepatitis, and other diseases. That's crazy. Pretty wild. Like I remember Uh, when Victoria, I think it was Victoria who covered milk sickness. Yeah, yeah. That wasn't, Mm -hmm. that was wild. And that's a totally separate thing. That's from what the cows are eating. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, you know, this whole thing of like cows, you know, having diseases in their milk, that's not something totally from the past either. Mm -hmm. There's been this trend lately of people buying raw milk. Yeah. Yeah. And claiming it's somehow better for you. No, And this is basically, in my mind, a modern social plague uh, where the well, where you have well off, well off healthy people who basically go looking for ways to kill themselves by thinking that they are somehow being extra healthy by ignoring the last 150 years of advances we have Mm -hmm. made in food food safety and medicine. It doesn't work this way, you guys. Nope. So I think what's happened is we're now so so far removed from the diseases of the past that we are openly ignorant of how dangerous the world used to be, even in just our parents' or grandparents' childhoods. Mm -hmm. And so here's just a little taste of raw milk before we get back to beer. I don't want a taste of raw milk. Well, metaphorically. uh, But according (laughs) to the U.S. Center for Disease Control, between 1998 and 2018, there was an increase in the average number of raw milk-associated disease outbreaks in the United States from the past. Um, Outbreaks during those years sickened 2,645 people, caused 228 hospitalizations, and three deaths from what was just a tiny, tiny fraction of the population that were following this this weird trend. Mm -hmm. So now imagine if everyone was doing it. Well, guess what? Those deaths, Rachel, were preventable because of beer. So back to beer. Are you talking about pasteurization? Well, we're getting there, Rachel. Back in the 1800s, beer was hyper-local. And Mm -hmm. like milk, it was a highly perishable product. And this caught the attention of a scientist who was interested in microorganisms. He was one of the first to propose that the yeast we use to make beer is actually alive, which you talked about. Oh, yeah. And that the fermentation process may also be allowing something else to flourish. He discovered bacteria were living in beer and causing it to go bad and make people sick, and in some cases, even die. Whoa. He also discovered that by heating the beer up to around 170 degrees Fahrenheit, even just for 30 seconds or so, mm-hmm. would effectively kill all of the harmful things living in it without really changing the flavor. And this okay. may sound familiar because you brought it up. Oh. You know who this was? 
It was it Louis Pasteur? It was indeed. Yeah. And the process he invented is now called <laughs> pasteurization. pasteurization. Yeah. Ah. So he's obviously a pretty famous guy for it. He not only invented modern germ theory, he also invented <laughs> the process we still use to this day to keep our food safe. Wild. He undoubtedly has saved millions of people's lives. Uh, and I think we tend to think of milk a lot when we talk about things being pasteurized. But it's also important uh, to remember that this all actually started with his interest in beer. beer. He was a beer guy and he was studying beer, which is super cool. That's so cool. So here's the thing. Uh, nature is strange in that it keeps trying to kill us mm -hmm. uh, and make us sick. Right. <laughs> Although maybe blaming all of nature is a bit much. It's viruses <laughs> and bacteria keep trying to kill us. Right. But not on purpose. Because killing your host is a terrible way to spread, right? If you right. kill your host, you're probably not going to spread. If you make someone so sick they can't get out of bed, they also may not be very Able good to, at spreading disease. Right. Short-lived disease. So, yeah, ideally a virus or bacteria wants to make us just a tiny bit sick. So subtle that we don't see any reason not to go to work or parties or mm -hmm. concerts or pinball barcades uh, that's why covid <laughs> is becoming less deadly over time mm -hmm. i mean that and the fact that we have vaccines for it but right. the strains that kill people and keep them at home are going to naturally burn themselves out that's why sorry, start with, those that keep you either asymptomatic or almost almost asymptomatic but still contagious actually spread more and more and eventually become the dominant strains i'm not sure if we're totally there yet but we're right. getting there mm -hmm. and i do want to point out though that there are diseases that while even if they don't kill you can still cause lifelong problems mm -hmm. they may keep you keep you alive long enough to spread the disease and then they shorten your lifespan in other ways and you may die you know younger 20 mm -hmm. 30 years later right which is a worry so, that we have you know, with covid right so it could also be that the they only kill a small percentage of the population, mm -hmm. but on a planet of 8 billion people, even a small percentage, like 1% would still be 80 million deaths. So, Oof. I mean, this is a long way of saying, hey, disease is bad, uh -huh. right? Go get and vaccinated. And forget how, <laughs> yeah, that too. Uh, vaccines are a whole separate thing for pasteurization, but mm -hmm. it kind of comes under this umbrella of like, I think we often forget how lucky we are to live in a time when we understand these diseases and, and how they're spread, because people didn't in the past, right? Mm -hmm. And we have simple things like even a like hundred years ago, exactly. Or you know, things like like vaccines, like you mentioned, that can save lives. Oh yeah. So um, if you've got a beer handy uh, at home, uh, probably not if you're driving, listening to this, but if you got some milk or juice or wine, also not if you're driving, uh, just raise a glass. <laughs> And salute uh, Louis Pasteur, the man who was interested in strange parts of nature, who figured out how to thwart germs, keep us safe, and allow us to taste beers from around the world without wondering if they're going to kill us. Oh, thank you, Louis Pasteur. Absolutely. That's what I got for you this week. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, Rachel, I think you promised a game. Is that correct? I did promise a game. All right. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everyone. All right. Like I promised, let's play a game. Kirk, okay, I'm, I'm in. Excellent. I'm going to describe an animal, a creature of sorts. 
And okay. I'm going to tell you a little bit about where it lives. And I want you to guess what kind of creature it is. Okay. If you can figure out maybe its name, that would be fabulous. But at least what kind of creature it is. I feel like name might be too much. Kind. Okay. Do you mean kind like, like this is a bird, this is a... Uh, yes. Or more specific than that, you're hoping for. Okay. okay. Category oh, of animal is fine. If okay. you could I, try to guess what I, animal I it is, I wouldn't be nervous awesome. in general, but the fact that you are doing this as part of the show, I feel like like, like Brett is is here. We're playing Eat, Ride, Jacket or something like I that. I mean, so, uh, fair. I'm a little nervous. All right, you should be. Start, start <laughs> Game Master. You at home can play along. All right. So the the creature that I'm talking about this week has four legs, and it's the largest of its a largest species of its kind. Uh, it comes in at about okay. 2.2 pounds, so one kilogram. So it's the largest species oh Okay, so I, species I'm having a, I, was, I was picturing an elephant that uh-huh. just shrunk much smaller. Okay. Right. And uh, it pounds. is about 8.7 inches in length. Okay. Oh, gosh, that's, that's long for a two-pound animal. Mm. Okay. It lives on several islands in the Caribbean, uh, in particular in the Lesser Antilles. Uh, it actually and went from the, several islands to just two. This is the largest of its species? Yes. Largest of its kind? Yes. Okay. Okay. It used to be something that people widely ate, but unfortunately it is critically oh. endangered for a variety of factors, one being habitat loss and overhunting. But it's also being critically uh, affected by a fungal disease. It's a common figure in folk songs, in poems, and even jokes. Uh, It's actually also been featured on Dominica's The Coat of Arms. Interesting. Any ideas so far? Where, where, what's your thought process so far? Is that all you're going to give me? Oh, no, I have Um, more. Okay, so, okay, when I first started off, did you say it was four-legged? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, You know, my, and you said it was, you know, the the biggest, okay, I'm thinking like elephant, and you're like, oh, no, two pounds. I'm like, all right, that, that narrows it down to something much smaller. Mm -hmm. I was thinking like something like a a weasel or some sort of, you know, smaller thing, but, but that's, I'm like two pounds, it could be, probably smaller than that. And the biggest weasels are much bigger than that. So it takes kind of all the like those out. Mm-hmm. Then I started going down the route of like iguana or some Ooh. sort of like reptile. Mm. Um, but, you know, I think there's some huge, huge members of that family, right? Mm. So like two pounds, I feel like that sort of rules okay. a lot of those out. Um, unless, unless it's, you know, uh, a specific sub type of reptile, right. you want to be more specific. Okay. Um, you know, people eating them, interestingly, doesn't really rule out much of anything because right. people eat everything, Rachel. I know. You know, so that uh, is kind of a bit of a red herring there. Mm-hmm. And uh, being on a flag, I don't recognize stuff, but I'm trying to think, you know, for, for a while I was thinking bat, some kind mm. of bat. Okay. Uh, but I'm like, there are various like two pound bats, but like they're a much bigger bat. There's like flying foxes, which are. Right. Which arguably are not right? bats. All right. Would you like more information? I would like more information. All right. Their alarm call sounds like a chicken squawking. Okay. Like, 
Sorry to our listeners. <laughs> okay, doesn't help. Nope. Uh, this animal is uh, omnivore, mostly carn, mostly favoring uh, other animals, uh, eating anything that it can swallow. It eats everything from Jeez. crickets to millipedes to tarantulas, geckos, frogs, even small rodents. So whatever it can swallow. Okay. So that sounds like maybe it rules out it being a rodent itself. Mm. When parenting, maybe not. Uh, the male and female will create a bubble nest, a uh, nesting burrow to mate in. Bubble? And the a female, bubble nest? Yeah. And the female will lay eggs. Uh, both the male and the female will stay close to defend their babies once Wait, they've is this, hatched. Is this some kind of fish? Like, hmm. Fascinating. Uh, the female <laughs> so will also... Right now. Good. The female will also produce unfertilized eggs for her babies okay. to eat. Well, it can't be a salamander because there are giant salamanders that are way more than two pounds. Mm. We've talked about them on the show. Uh, this creature it... lives about oh. 12 years. It's okay. got brown skin and has black spots or stripes. That's all the knowledge that I'm going to give you, Kirk. Okay. Any ideas? Um, I'm almost leaning toward like some kind of frog mm. or amphibian. Okay. Why? Um, well, you, the, the bubble nest and, you know, the laying lots of eggs, um, you know, and just e eating stuff. I, although I don't know that two pounds, I mean, like a, Mm -hmm. Is a bullfrog more than two pounds? They can be pretty big. They can be, but uh, they're not and... two pounds. Okay. Well, I, my best guess is that you are describing some sort of frog. All right. Or a toad. Well, congratulations, uh, Kirk. It is a frog. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. So Woo! this week, yeah. uh, I want to... Congratulations! And, you made it. And congratulations it. to you at home if you uh, you got that. Yeah, of course, people yeah. eat frogs. Right. Uh, they were pretty well eaten, I guess. So if they, you like to eat frogs, I can highly recommend you uh, listen to episode a few back about right uh, called maybe don't eat the snails. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't eat the just, frogs either. If you want some rat lungworm, uh, go ahead and eat the frog legs. Uh, oh, go, go on, Rachel. No, I won't. Oh, that's awful. Okay. So oh, this particular frog, <laughs> this particular species of frog is commonly known. And you've talked about your hatred of these things or not hatred, but like, oh, why wow. of this? Their common name is mountain chicken. Oh, <sighs> <sighs> yeah, just stupid names for things. I, it's also called the giant ditch frog. So it does have other names, but I do love <laughs> not, that this I'm not frog. Sure that's any better. No. Giant ditch frog. Right? Oh, man. It's not that's better. So insulting. I really like the name mountain chicken. I think that's very funny that a frog. It is better than big, ditch frog. I'll give large, you that. The largest frog, one of the largest frogs in the world, is called a mountain chicken. Like it's not a chicken. If they call it, it let's don't just live in the mountains. We'll call it a mountain ditch chicken. <laughs> Beautiful. The giant mountain ditch chicken. I don't. 
And, you know, the reasoning why it's called a mountain chicken actually goes back to, like, there's some debate on whether or not it has to do with the fact that people used to eat it all the time and the fact that it's, like I said, it's alarm call sounds sounds a lot like a chicken. So because of that, wild. Um, But this is a very large frog. (laughs) Yeah. It's wild. Uh, So generally speaking, it is a... Uh, it lives on islands. It's critically endangered currently. The fungal disease that I mentioned earlier uh, is called the uh, oh god, um, crytridiomycosis. Crytridio, sure. no, yeah, crytridiomycosis is what I get for attempting Latin when Victoria isn't here. Uh, so and what is that? That is a fungal disease. It's actually affecting That's a lot of amphibians. That is the gotcha. fungal disease. And it's causing okay. a lot of issues with amphibians, actually. Um, it's contributed to a lot of dramatic declines in populations, especially in um, North, North America, which is, which, that, it sucks. <laughs> Going to be flat out and yep. say that. It sucks. Um, because it's a fungal disease, so it's able to... Um, it's able to attach more into amphibians because they have lower body temperatures than like mammals, for example. Gotcha. Yep. But we've talked a little bit about fungal diseases uh, on the podcast before. And the relationship to body temperature, just everything's all coming together here. Exactly. And the other part of it too, is this is a pretty recent disease. Like it's only been found. um, It's, it started being found in 1993 uh not only in north america like i said but it's also it's a global uh issue for amphibian uh populations right right uh it's been found all across the globe but it was first found in australia and has since spread everywhere which not great (sighs) yeah i won't so i won't hold our wonderful beautiful australian listeners responsible for that no because we don't like that was one of the places if they don't hold they me it, responsible but... for all the rabbits and uh, right <laughs> stuff that has shown up in australia right Please. uh so i had nothing to do with that exactly so like the mountain chicken uh going back to that generally speaking it is it looks just like any frog so you look like you look Picture a frog in your head. That's kind of what it looks like. It's just huge. Yeah, I, I looked at a photo and I'm like, oh, there's no sense of the size. In there is photos. not it a single sense like of a, the size. To me, it looks a little bit like a um, like a wood frog. Mm-hmm. If you know what that looks like. It reminded me of that as well. Kind of, and yeah, yeah. And what's crazy is they don't really live on mountains either. I don't know why exactly they're called hmm. mountain chickens. Apparently. Because this is how people react. Apparently, it also tastes like chicken, which probably contributes to its name in the first place. Right. We I always wonder think if historically their like range chicken. was a little bit was different. It was um, changed over time. I mean, there may have been different subspecies that were wiped out in higher elevations or something. I mean, maybe for the most part, it seems to be uh, the historic range was the Lesser Antillean Islands, which is in the. Mm-hmm. Uh, Caribbean Ocean or Caribbean Sea, I should say. It's just north of South America in that kind of area. Uh, It used to be in multiple islands, but now it's only been found, and now it only is on Dominica and Montserrat, which 
Gotcha. Sad. Sad. But yeah, it's super cool, though, because not only uh, are they like this terrestrial species of frog, but I-, I mentioned a little bit earlier about their bubble nests that they make. So yeah, these frogs, what they'll do, it's wild. Um, it's really unusual for species to do this. So what they'll do, uh, they don't, how do I describe this? They don't, most amphibians will breed in the water because their eggs will hatch into tadpoles and those need to be in water to be able to breathe, right? Right, right, yeah. These species, this species of frog actually makes a little burrow that can be up to 20 inches deep. And okay, this is towards the end of the dry season. Um, so oh. it's towards the end of the dry season, right before the wet season. Okay. So that way mm-hmm. there will be some rains and everything. But what will happen is the male frogs find good, like nesting sites, dig this right. nesting burrow and then they'll attract a female. Once they have a female, they will engage in the amplexus, which is, I don't know if we've talked about amplexus here. Um, I don't think we have, no. Which is wild. Amplexus is pretty much like, pretty much like paralyzation almost of the frog. Like they're stuck together for however long amplexus, like their muscles freeze in that position and they can't move anymore until they are done mating wild we'll have to talk about (laughs) amplexus i'm sure we will at some point or another put it on the list i know um we've talked about other ways animals get stuck during mating but not that one yeah so the female once they're in amplexus the female starts to secrete like a fluid and then the male makes that fluid into a foam um with his like hind okay. legs becomes and like a fucking nightclub like foam nest. dance party kind of thing going on yeah but their nest they're building this nest and it takes them nine to 14 hours to build this nest kirk oh it's a lot of bubbles yeah there's just so many bubbles <laughs> yeah so okay. much foam. and then the male will leave the burrow and defend it from intruders while the female will lay the eggs and she can lay up to, oh my gosh, she can lay, once they're hatched, she will lay more eggs. So once the tadpoles have hatched, she'll lay more eggs because the tadpoles the will be in that, as the food, like I said. And there are up to 25,000 right. eggs that she'll lay <laughs> oh, for the tadpoles to eat. <laughs> and oh they gosh. will, um, and the foam is where the tadpoles are. That's what's keeping them moist and everything. So they're not okay. in water. A, they're in the foam. That's amazing. Cause this must, this is not like an overnight process. I mean, no. How, like it how takes long are they in the foam? 45 days. Well, how do you? The female continuously I, renews the foam oh, as time okay. is going on. Okay. So like, I thought she like only this leaves. was some magic foam that lasted forever. Oh, and I'm like, no, like they're renewing. This. You could make amazing. <laughs> you could like, there could be some amazing application. I can't, you know, I'm working with kids and we're trying to get bubbles. Right. Sometimes they're not lasting long at all. Right. But if they got no. foam last on that long, holy cow. Not quite that long, but they are continuously renewing the foam and she only leaves okay. in order to like eat, but the male will be around to 
uh, guard the female in the nest as well. But still, 45 days just for anywhere from 26 to 43 little froglets to emerge. It's wild. And then that's mind blowing, isn't it? And then because the end, it takes 45 days by the time they get to the end of the time, like they emerge as little froglets, it becomes wet. It's wet season now. So it's much wetter and easier for the uh, little frogs to get more food because there's a lot more food when it's wet. Uh, Like there's just more food and things around. Um, It's wild. That's so cool. Isn't it so cool? It's cool enough if it wasn't for the fact that they're also like the largest frog in the world. Mm -hmm. Also very cool, you know. And there is a good find. I was scrolling through a photo, finally a photo of one with something to compare, a person holding onto one. (laughs) And it's massive like it's covering their whole hand and the mm-hmm. legs are dangling down like eight inches under the person's hand and it's yeah huge. it's giant and the thing is when i said that it was like 8.7 meter or inches in length not meters um yeah that's from its nose to its vent so that doesn't even include like their legs right so, wow pretty big it's wild that's what I have what for you today. Cool, that was the yeah. What a cool animal, right? That was just what I wanted to talk about. I saw a mountain chicken. Someone told me about it, and I was like, "What is a mountain chicken?" They didn't even tell me. They're like, "Hey, look up mountain chicken," and I looked it up. And I'm like, "Why is it showing me a frog?" Yep. <laughs> and then I learned yep. more about gotta it. Talk about like, that. Got to talk about it. Um, my sources this week, uh, just so that way we have those. So if anybody is curious, um, was an article in the National History Museum, uh, which was in the UK, hilariously, uh, by Emily Osterloff. Uh, Wikipedia helped out a bit. Love the Natural History Museum. Oh, right? right. Love them. I also used the London Zoo. Andrew Cunningham talked, had a really great uh, article about the mountain chicken. And then the... St. Louis Zoo also had a great article about mountain chickens. Wild sentence wow. to have to say. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what we do. Oh, yeah. All right. So that's all I have for you this week. I think that's it, Kirk. That's it. Wow. All right, yeah. we'll, we'll be back next week with yeah. Victoria Woo-hoo. with more strange nature. And it's see you then. second week of the new year. We've oh. done it. We've conquered. We got more to go. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll see you all next week. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thanks, everyone, for listening to today's show. Be sure to subscribe. New episodes drop every Wednesday, and we love sharing this strange world with all of our listeners. If you would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review, that would be great. It lets other lovers of the strange discover the show. You can reach out to us on social media by searching for Strange by Nature Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can send us an email as well. Our address is contact at strangebynaturepodcast.com. If you want more information about the show, you can also check out our website, which is strangebynaturepodcast.com. Until next week, get outside, stay curious, and embrace the strange. 
Hey there, podcast listeners. Are you looking for a fresh podcast that dives into the realms of scientific wonders, shares unique career advice, and where you can learn about the stories of guests who made real scientific discoveries possible? Then join us at Keep It Science as we aim to unravel mysteries, spark inspiration, and much more. We're all about bringing science closer to you. We are your co-hosts, Dr. Elizabeth Kugler and Dr. Ned Gaunt. So keep questioning, keep exploring, most importantly, keep it science. Make sure to follow us on YouTube, LinkedIn, and X, or wherever you're listening to this from. Bye.